Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. There was a fella, church, uh, by the name of Paul Rader. And Paul, well, Paul Rader, Paul Rader, he was visiting the Roman Colosseum. He took a tour over to... Uh, Rome, and he went through the Roman Colosseums, and he went in this massive landmark full of tons of history. And as Paul kind of went through there, uh, this tourist, he kind of looked, and and he just remembered some things, and he jotted some stuff down. He jotted his thoughts down, and he said this, quote, In ancient Rome, the crowds by the tens of thousands would gather in the Colosseum to watch the Christians being torn apart by wild animals. I stood uncovered to the heavens above, he writes, where he, speaking of God, sits, whom they gladly died. And I asked myself, quote, would I, could I, for him tonight to get this gospel to the ends of the earth? Rather continued, I prayed most fervently that in the Roman arena for the spirit of martyr and for the working of the Holy Spirit in my heart, as he worked in Paul's heart when he brought him on his handcuffed way to Rome. Those early Christians, they lived on the threshold of heaven within a heartbeat of home, no possessions to hold them back, unquote. Let that quote sit in for just a moment. He writes this again, and and, and I want you to feel the, the weight of the impact of what he's saying. He says, the early Christians in the Roman Colosseum, he said they lived, you ready, church, on the threshold of heaven, within a heartbeat of heaven, and no possessions to hold them back. What Paul was thinking is, about what he was thinking about is what we all might have to endure someday. You go, what's that? Well, I believe, guys, it's the persecution of our faith. And here's what I believe, guys. Living radically may at times extend to persecution. Now, I know what you're thinking. You go, Pastor, we live in the United States. Are you kidding me? Persecution to me is, I don't get my favorite TV program, whatever it might be. And, and, and there's a lot of people who say that, but there might be coming a day where you and I are going to be persecuted for the God that we love. And persecution, if you will, comes in all kinds of forms. You go, how so? Well, from the stoning of believers, right? And we'll talk about that later. Or being used as sport in a Roman Colosseum. Two, maybe not getting your job promotion or verbal abuse of your faith. Now listen, I do believe that God is shaping us down here so we fit up there. I believe that's part of suffering. I believe that's part of persecution. God is beginning to work and he's beginning to chip away those things in our lives. And that's really what we're here for. We're here to have an encounter with Jesus to chip away those things that are actually holding us back from walking closer to God. You see, there's a lot of us that might be, if you will, thinking about, well, we're on the threshold, we're living on the threshold of heaven. We might even be here today, a heartbeat away from home. But here's the key, you ready? Do we have any possessions that are holding us back? Do we have anything that's holding us back? So I believe, if you will, that persecution is part 
of the transformation into Christ-likeness. And it's also part of everyday life. Now consider the people from all walks of life that are living radically for God. I think we all fit into a lot of those categories. You how so? Well, let me give you an example, right? So far, we've talked that we've had an intro and we've talked about five, five individuals that we've talked about. Number one, you guys remember Zacchaeus. We've talked about him. Zacchaeus, I love that dude, right? Well, you say, why? Well, he was short in stature, but it wasn't so much that he was a wee little man, but, but he was hated amongst everyone. His stature was like, are you kidding me? If, if people were, were ridiculing him and people didn't want to be around him and they wouldn't invite him socially, he was an awkward out of, that's just Zacchaeus, right? When Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. He couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd, right? The crowd is in the way. And I think at times in our lives, the crowd is in the way about us trying to show Jesus. And Jesus said, if you lift me up, then I will draw all peoples to ourselves. And we've got to be so careful that we've got to remember to lift Jesus up. We don't lift up a denomination. We don't lift up a church. We don't lift up a pastor. Those don't save Jesus. And so Jesus said, if, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And that's what he did. Zacchaeus says, man, I can't see. Crowds in the way. Gets up on a sycamore tree, looks down. Jesus says, listen, I've got an encounter for you. We're going to your house. We're going to have a great time. You're going to cook a meal. It's going to be amazing. And Zacchaeus comes down. Next thing you know, he's radically changed. He had an encounter with Jesus. Could you imagine, guys, could you imagine with me for a moment if, if all of a sudden Jesus just walked up and said, hey, Zacchaeus, pray this prayer and you're okay. That's not an encounter. He went and he met and he was changed. And you go, how so? Well, you guys know the story. You know the story. He gave half his wealth to the poor. And I want that to sink in. Why? Because we are really just, we hold on to what we have. That's mine. Mine. Right? Nobody has to teach us that. We learned that at a young age. Mine. Right? Try taking a toy away from a two-year-old. Mine. Where did they learn that from? Where did they learn that from? Did they learn that from mom and dad? I'll tell you what, I've never gone home and, and Natalie have something and I try to go get it and she goes, no, mine. You know what I'm saying? So they learn that they know. But, but Zacchaeus says, hey, it's yours, half of it, let's go. I want to, something's changed. I don't need that. There's no possession holding me back. And then he does something even more radical. He goes, what's that? He gave back four times what he had stolen. Could you imagine if that philosophy worked with us? If you took a pencil from work, you'd have to give them four pencils back tomorrow. Oh, that's no problem, Pastor. I, I got four pencils at home lying around. No problem. I can do this. Ah. But what if it was money? And now you took $25, and now you're paying 100 and now you take that across the board. You see, he had an encounter with Jesus, and I love it. And that's really what we're here for, guys. We have... Come here so that we can encounter God. If, if our Sunday and our Wednesday doesn't affect us the rest of the week, I'm not sure who we had an encounter with. Pastor Ben, we had a Bible study. That was so cool. Oh, it was funny what you said. That's cool. Okay, what do we, it's gotta, it's gotta affect us. It's gotta change us. Because we're living in the light of eternity. You go, how so? Well, look at the next character we talked about. It was the, it was Daniel, right? Daniel, Daniel and his compadres, they lived for God. And you know that the world is going this way, and Daniel says, no, 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 I'm going to run this way. I'm not a heathen, I'm a Hebrew. I'm just going to live for God. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to serve the living God no matter what. 
And there's a couple of things we learned about Daniel. What was that? Number one, he was a leader. You go, how so? Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were followers. Could you imagine? Hey, guys, we're going to have this. We're going to do our own diet. No, we're not doing our diet. We don't even know who you are, Daniel. We're going to eat the king's delicacies. No, they understood and they saw him. They said, no, we're, we're, we're with Daniel. We're, we're Hebrews. Why? That played out later, didn't it? For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not going to bow to your idol. We don't bow to idols. Throw him into the fiery furnace. Nope, not going to bow. It doesn't matter. You know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said? They said this. Our God going to deliver us? But even if he doesn't, we're on the what? We're on the threshold of heaven. We're one heartbeat away with no possession holding us back. Daniel lived radically. How? How did he live radically? By simply getting up and living for Jesus in a, in a dark, dark, dark world. And then we talked about Dorcas or Tabitha. Here was a woman who stepped out of her comfort zone, church, and she served. She saw a need, and she met a need. And she said, listen, what can I do? And I saw what I can do, and I met the need. And for her, it was just, it was just sewing. She was just sewing, but, but that made such an impact. She made it into the word of God because she saw a need, and she met that need. The Bible says that she was a disciple, and so we know she had an encounter with Jesus, you go, Pastor, how do you know? Here's why. You ready? Because all disciples are Christians, but not all Christians are disciples. We want that encounter with Jesus. And then number four, we talked about Jonathan, King Saul's son, David's BFF. He was a man who stepped out in faith. She stepped up to serve. He stepped out in faith. And I'm still waiting, guys. There's so many things that the Lord wants to do with us in Lubbock, Texas. And we need people to say, I'll go. Send me. What do you want to do, Pastor? Where do you want to go? I, you know what? I'm waiting for the day when we have, when we have people going, Lord, I'll go start a church. What do you want me to do? I'll go. I'll, I, don't, I don't know much. But, and, and why? Because I'm going to step out like Jonathan. I'm going to live radically. We know that Jonathan was the leader. Why? Because the armor bearer is like, hey, I'll go. We could die. I'm in. I'm in. Why? Because he understood that everything on earth was a blessing, but it wasn't ultimate. You guys tracking with me? Everything on earth, your kids are a blessing. They can't be ultimate. The job you have is a blessing, can't be ultimate. The money you have or may not have is what? It can be good, but it's not ultimate. Why? Because what happens when you take something good and make it ultimate? It becomes an idol, and they make horrible gods. Because you think you'll find freedom in it, and you actually are being enslaved all the more. It's really simple, really simple. And so, this was Jonathan. He said, let's go, let's go. And I love the, the he quoted the most famous words, right? It may be that the Lord will work for us. Maybe that the world will work for us, that the Lord will work. He'll do it. He'll do it. And then last week, we, we talked about something that nobody really wants to talk about. And we talked about Job. Do you remember Job and how he suffered for his faith? Guys, he lost every, he lost everything. He lost 
every bit of his stuff. And he lost his family. And if that wasn't enough, he lost his wealth and his health. And he was just broken. We don't like to talk about suffering because we're like, you know, I thought, I thought, listen, I thought giving my life to Jesus Christ is going to be amazing and, and, uh, it's going to be good and I'm not supposed to suffer because people told me I'm the head and not the tail. And, and, and yet we know in this life that there's going to be suffering. Why? Church, because, because life is fragile, is it not? And Job. And of course, God. Bless Job, and we talked about this last week, guys, and we don't follow Jesus because he makes life better. We follow Jesus because he's better than life. Now, let the weight of that quote set in, okay? Think about it. We don't follow Jesus because he makes life better. That's really the mantra of a lot of people. Hey, give your life to Jesus. Go be great. It's going to be wonderful. Listen, all your bills are going to be paid. Jesus got a big fat checkbook. He's going to pay your bills. Give your life to Jesus and your prodigal kids are going to come back and say sorry. That's not real life, is it? That's not, that's not, that's not reality. Reality is, is that, is that here's why we follow Jesus because he's better than anything down here. He's better than the air that you breathe. See, many people follow Jesus because they're hoping to what? They're hoping for a prosperous life, one that's easier. One that's full of material blessings. But the one thing we learned is that we need to follow Jesus no matter what life brings because he is our only hope. And that's what we learned about Job suffering. Notice how this breaks down, okay? At Calvary Chapel, we have our core values. You go, what's that? We love God. We talked about Hosea. Love God with everything, right? Every breath. I want you to think about that. Everybody take a big, deep breath. That's the Lord's. Love God with everything in you. Number two, love people. Why? Because that should be a natural byproduct. We're going to love people. Right? Even the unlovables, even the Ninevites we're going to love. Right? Why? Because that's what God has called us to do. We saw that. Let me ask you a question, church. You don't have to. You can answer in your own mind. Did Jesus love the Pharisees? You said, of course they did. Although they were those religious snobs and they were, they were just, they were doctrinally just sending people to hell. As a matter of fact, Jesus called them you brood of vipers. But he loved them, didn't he? He loved them. Why? Because he knew, he knew their, their fate. And that's the one thing we always need to keep in mind. No matter what somebody's doing here behavior wise, where is their, where are they going to end up? Where are they going to end up? And that's what we pray. Oh, Lord. Lord. And then we come to what? To living radical. Here's what it means. You ready? Number one, you've had a real encounter with Jesus. Jesus is more than your BFF. Jesus is ultimate. He is, he is everything you've had this encounter. And number two, you begin to live life for Jesus every single day. You see, it wasn't the, hey, I put on the t-shirt 
I'm a Christian. I prayed a prayer. Now I'm going to go out those doors and I'm going to live exactly the way I want to live because I am under grace. You know what I'm saying? G-R-A-C-E. I'm under grace. No, no, no. Daniel didn't say that. Daniel said, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to get up. I'm going to have my quiet time. I'm going to love and follow God and I'm going to ask him what he wants me to do. And Lord, I'm going to speak when you want me to speak and I'm not going to speak when you don't want me to speak. This is what I'm going to do. And what? And you live for Jesus every day. World's going this way, you're going this way. And then what happens, guys, as you walk with Jesus for a little while, you begin to step out, what? Step up in faith and start meeting the needs in the body of Christ. You go, how so? You do that through serving. Hey, where can I serve? What do I, where, 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 where do you need me? Where can I be? Another place is, what can I, I can give. I've got money. I'm, I want to be obedient to that. Why? Because we can take the little that God brings in here, guys, and we can spread the gospel around the world. You, I meet a need. Pastor, don't talk about money. That's my money. I work hard for it. Whose money is it? It's God's money. Lord, here's your money. What do you want me to do with it? What do you want me to do? Wow. Wow. Why? Because I read somewhere in the scripture that you can't outgive God. Maybe some of us in here need to what? Well, we step up. We're going to start serving. And then we begin to step out in faith. And you find your place in ministry. Pastor, I'm not called to ministry. Yes, you are. Pastor, I'm not called to ministry. Yes, you are. Pastor, I'm not called to full-time ministry. Yes, you are. Everybody got that, right? You're called to ministry. I'm not. I get up and I go to a job. No, you're called to ministry. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are called to ministry for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. You're the pastor. I think you should do this. No, God has a better way. Why? Let me equip you, and then all of us can do much, much more. Check that out. You want to burn out your pastor? Take that scripture and turn it around. Pastor, you need to do every visit. Pastor, you need to do this. Pastor, you need to go to every hospital call. Pastor, 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 pastor. No, no, no. That's what God. Listen, God is equipping you to do that work. Did you realize that? You can be the hands and the feet in the mouthpiece of Jesus. It's amazing. And of course, church, I, I want to remind you that radical living means sometimes there's going to be suffering. I'm not talking about being punished. I'm talking about suffering. Think about what Jesus taught us, guys. Think about what Jesus taught us. In John 15, 18 through 21, he says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, I chose you. I chose you out of the world. Therefore, if the world hates you, remember that that the word I said to you, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you because they do not know him who sent me. You go, Pastor, what are you, what are you saying? Well, I'm saying that radical living sometimes means that we're going to be persecuted. And sometimes there's suffering and sometimes there's persecution. I mean, that's what Jesus said, didn't he? He said, listen, if they persecuted me, 
guess what? They're going to persecute you. Now, listen, here's what I love. If you'll walk down in any Christian store, you'll see wonderful t-shirts that say, I heart Jesus, right? And there's some great t-shirts out there. We have some great t-shirts. But I've never seen this t-shirt, this scripture on a t-shirt. I've never heard anyone go, hey, they're going to persecute me. Jesus. Why? We don't like it. But Jesus said, listen, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. I think that's pretty clear. I think that's pretty clear. Church, we as believers, as followers, radical followers of Jesus Christ, I think there's going to be some things in our lives that the world hates. And people hate us. They just are. Pastor, my goal is I want everybody to like me. Well, if you're following Jesus, there's going to be a lot of people who don't like you. But I don't say a word. I try to be nice. It's what you stand for. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You haven't said a word to anybody. You're trying to be the nicest person you can be. You smile a lot, and they just don't like you because you're a Christian. Amen. John 16, 1 through 4, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble, but they will put you out of the synagogues. Today it might be, what, churches. Yes, there is a time coming that whoever kills you think he's offering God service, and these things they will do because they have not known the Father nor me, but these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. What is he saying to us, church? He's saying, guys, listen. There's going to I mean, I, I just blows my mind. The Lord, the Lord is telling the disciples, he's going, hey, listen, um, there's going to be a time that you might be kicked out of the church, out of the synagogues. He says, and, and whoever kills you, I'm going, whoa, 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 kills me? <laughs> I, listen, I signed up for this disciple thing. Because I thought I'd walk around with you, Rabbi, and we'd see some cool stuff, and you do some neat miracles. I think that'd be cool. I ain't nobody said anything about killing anybody. And Jesus said, no, they're going to actually think when they kill you. Now, let me ask you a question. When we think of, of a disciple being killed by someone who thought he was serving God, what name comes to mind? Saul. You're thinking of... Yeah, Stephen and Saul. Jot this down, church. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, and then we'll look at 10 through 14. Paul is writing to Timothy, he says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Why? For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. From such people turn away. Let me just say this. I think I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I think we're there. Just from the list, right? Why? He says this. In, in the last days, stressful times will come. Do y'all feel stressed in these last days? Do y'all feel like we're in a pressure cooker? Why? Because, listen, you may, you may just be a Facebook junkie just, just because. And every time you look at Facebook, there's something political. There's some, some sort of political pressure that you're just like, really enough. 
And he says, in those last days, he says, men will be what? Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money and so forth, the list. And now he says this to you. Now you ready? Verse 10 through 14, he says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned. Okay, you ready? You ready? Paul writes to you and I as believers, okay? As believers, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Hey, how many of you want to give your life to the Lord? I do, pastor, I do. Okay, guess what? When you do this, you're going to be what? You're going to suffer persecution. Who's in? You see, it's it's wonderful how the Lord Jesus protects us. And I mean, our hope is in him. But the scripture just said, if you're going to be a believer, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you can expect some persecution. You can expect it. You could almost say that those who live radically for Jesus will suffer persecution. And that's where we find our profile today. A fellow by the name of Stephen is presented as a man who lived radically for Jesus. He suffered persecution and eventually death. Okay, so allow me to set the stage. Acts chapter 6. In the early church, a few years after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, the believers at Jerusalem basically put all their resources together. Okay? When you hear a church go, oh, I wish we were like the early church, do you know what that means? That means you brought your bank accounts and you put them in the church and then, and then that's how you did. You brought everything to the church and said, okay, that's what it's like. And that's basically how it is. That's how you lived. If you had a need, the church would meet the need because everybody was giving. And that's what he's saying right here. The believers in Jerusalem put all their resources together. However, the Greek Christians complained that their widows were being ignored in the daily distribution of food. Seven deacons were appointed by the group to oversee the sharing of the food and other everyday matters. Well, Stephen was a man of full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He was among them. So that's where we pick up the story. Look at Acts chapter 6. That's where we're going to start. It says, And now in those days, when the number of disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Let me just say this, okay? You guys ready? This is so important. In the book of Acts, Satan attacks on the church have come in many different forms. You go, what, pastor? He has attempted many different forms of direct opposition and intimidation. He has tried to corrupt the church from within. The strategies have been unsuccessful. So what does Satan do? Did you notice? Now Satan hopes to divide and conquer by raising one group in the church against another. Did you see that in those first? I mean, all of a sudden, it's like the church is moving forward. The disciples, people are getting saved. They're having great encounters with God. I mean, and all of a sudden, a group goes and goes, hey, listen, we're, we're not being taken care of. We're not getting what we deserve. And so you can see how Satan will come in and he'll try to attack the church. How? By raising one group against another. 
You know what? One of the things the Lord hates, the Bible says, divisiveness in the, in the brethren, divisiveness. We may not all agree on the same opinion. We may not all, uh, all walk the same walk, but here's the thing. We need to be brothers and sisters in the Lord. And he hates when we get divided that way. And that's what's going on here. Verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, of wisdom, whom we appoint over the business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the same please the whole multitude. Now, let me stop right there. Do you see two forms of ministry? You go, how so? There are, there were the disciples come and go, listen, listen, we know that there's a need. We're not above serving but we are called to prayer and the word. Raise up some men who are great deacons, that are great servants. And I think that's so important. Why? Because it's not everybody who has the gift of teaching that can get up here and distribute the word of God. There's somebody who's really gifted. Just, I can serve tables. I can serve. Ta- I can serve. I can serve. And, and so, so the disciples come and says, listen, we're not going to leave tables because we're commissioned to what? To the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the word. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And they set before them the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them, and they The word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Do you see it, church? Do you see it? It's so exciting. Why? When everybody does their part, the church grew. It multiplied. People were like, okay. Nobody was going... Uh, hey, why, 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 why can't I be a pastor? Why do you get to talk? I can talk better than you, probably. But they weren't fighting, guys. Why? Because, because the mission was still Jesus. They weren't fighting. What, where, where can I serve? They trusted God enough to go, okay, I want to find my ministry, and I'm going to serve in that. Here's what I tell the Lord. Listen, Lord. Listen, Lord. I love more than anything. I love the sheep. I love teaching the Bible to the sheep. But if that's not my calling and you want me to be a janitor in a church and that's my calling, I'm going to be much more happier doing that than standing and preaching the word of God. You guys see what I'm saying? And so we ask the Lord, Lord, where am I going to, where's my fit? Where's my fit? Where's my fit? Here's why. When it comes to serving, whatever your ministry is, guys, there should be a joy and a peace when you do it. Now, I'm not talking. I I, Listen, I understand we're a small church, and I understand everybody puts double time, right? You're like, I don't really like kids, but you're great at it, and so you're in there. I get that. But I'm talking about your ministry that God has put in your heart to do. 
And you're just going, yes, I have a peace. Well, Stephen's chosen, right? And I think it's amazing. Why did they choose him? Well, I think Stephen was good looking, right? Well, that's not what the Bible says. Well, I think he was a strong man. Well, that's not what the Bible says, right? Here's what it says. You ready? And I think this is a goal for every one of us. He was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. That's what I want on my tombstone. He's a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. What else do you need? Brother Joe is a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what you need, right? Melissa, a woman full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. It's amazing. That is. And so they saw him and they laid hands on him, which is a, I mean, it's a formal sign of approval. It's like, here we go, boom. And we lay hands and that's, we approve. Well, notice verse 9. And there arose some of, right, there arose some from what is called the synagogue of freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia. They began disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom by the spirit which was spoke. Well, Stephen now debated with the Jews from the synagogue of freedmen. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He shows greater wisdom. They were not able to resist the wisdom of the Spirit in which he speaks. And I love that. Why? Because there's no indication, guys, that Stephen in himself was smarter or better or better educated or, or, or a better debater with the Jews. So what was it? He was what? You ready, church? It was the Holy Spirit in him. You see, earlier in Acts, it talks about what? It talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon you, upon you. Okay, we first have the Holy Spirit that is para, P-A-R-A, and the Holy Spirit walks alongside you and says, hey, you need to have that encounter with Jesus. And, and then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes inside you when you give your life to Jesus. It's in, E-N, the Holy Spirit will come inside you. And then there's the epi, E-P-I, the epi experience when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit, the epi experience is exactly what's happening to Stephen. He's going and he's debating them and he's showing and, and it's the Holy Spirit and they're just, they're, they're just floored. Why? Because I bet he did it with a lot of love. Why? Isn't that what the Holy Spirit is? Well, Pastor, what's the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I've heard that it's speaking in other tongues, or I heard it's prophesying. You want to know what the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is? It's love. You have a love for people. I've been... And so they're disputing with him, and he's he's just... Sharing. And notice, here's where the persecution starts, guys. Why? Because people are jealous, and here's where they'll start to falsely accuse. Verse 11. Then they secretly induced men, saying, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders, the scribes, and they came him, and they seized him, and they brought him to the council. Verse 13. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looking at him steadfastly, they saw his face as the face of an angel. Wow. 
It sounds like Jesus. Remember when they falsely accused Jesus? Can, can I say this to you guys now? Now, look at verse 1 of chapter 7 real quick. Then the high priest said, Are these things so? Uh-oh. Stephen's a deacon. Let's see what he's going to do. And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. Now, we don't have, for the sake of time, guys, we can't go through all from verse 2 to verse 53, but let me summarize what he preached, okay? But before we do, but before we do, can I just say this to you? If you are living radically for Jesus, if you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, there will people, there's going to be people that will say false things against you. They just are. Stephen, under the, and, and, and instead of what? Instead of embracing Stephen, oh, Stephen, here, a gift, wow. He's just a deacon. He's just serving tables. What can I do? Make sure the Hellenists get their, their stuff and make sure the widows are taken care of. Now all of a sudden they're, 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 they're upset with him and they're, they're bringing in false. Hey, did you, did you say that? He said that. Look at that. I heard him say some stuff against Moses and God. And so they give, they give Stephen a chance, but all he does, and I love this. Why? Because all he does is preach to them. He just gives them a Bible study. I just wonder for us, church, if we would try to defend ourselves. I wonder if we would just get in a debate. Let me tell you, because I think I've, I know the Bible a little better than you. And let me just say this. You know what he does? He just teaches them. You go, what does he do? Guys, if you'll look at it yourself, think about this. He goes back to the beginning. He starts with Father Abraham and he preaches a sermon under the, under the power of the Holy Spirit. And he mentions Abraham and he mentions Joseph and he says, and he comes with Moses and, and he just, he just goes through the history. And they're so convicted. You go, why? Well, basically, Stephen's message is essentially twofold. If you're taking note, first, he says, God is no respecter of places. That is, though the temple was a wonderful gift from God, it was wrong to overemphasize it as the house of God. Why? Because the people were taking something good and making it ultimate. Anybody with me? You know what I'm saying? Why? Because guys, that's it. That's, that's, they made the temple an idol. Well, he said that if you burst down this temple, you'd raise it up in three days at the temple, temple, temple. And it's like, no, the temple was good. He says, but you made it ultimate. That's the first part of his message. The second part of his message, he says, Israel is guilty of what they have always been guilty of. He says, rejecting God's messengers. That's what he preaches. Well, here's where he, they really, he really steps on their toes. Look at verse 51, guys, of chapter 7. And he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, will you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did? So do you. Which of the prophets did your father not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom now you have become betrayers and murderers whom you received the law by the direction of angels, and you haven't even kept it. Oh, ouch. He's just stepped on their toes. He, well, first of all, he calls them stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, but he's not just being mean. He's actually getting that from the word of God. And then he goes and he says, listen, the angels brought you the law, 
and you didn't even keep it. Well, those are fighting words, right? I like what Charles Spurgeon, the great pulpiteer, said. He said this, and I quote, The greatest, the greatness of Stephen's sermon is not only in its content, but in his courage. <clears throat> he takes the sharp knife of the word and rips up the sins of the people, laying open the inward parts of their hearts and the secrets of their souls. He could have not delivered that searching address with greater fearlessness than had been assured that they would thank him for the operation. And the fact that his death was certain had no effect upon him than to make him more, make him yet more zealous. That's what Spurgeon says. Look at verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Wow. Have you ever made anybody so mad that they gnashed at you with their teeth? Uh, I, I, can I just stop right here and say thank you guys for every Sunday and Wednesday that I preach to you that you don't get so mad that you want to gnash at me with your teeth? I can't believe that. Well, they did with Stephen. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God. Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Everybody see that? If you're an underliner, underline that verse. Why? Because Jesus has already been sitting at the right hand of God. When Stephen looks up, Jesus stands up. And you go, what's the point? Guys, this is so cool. Why? Because Jesus will always stand with you. In the midst of your persecution, in the midst of your suffering, Stephen looks up and Jesus is standing like as if I'm here with you. I love that verse. Why? Well, my opinion, and it's strictly my opinion, if I would have looked up and Jesus kind of sitting kind of with his arms over the, over the throne, it's kind of like, what's up? Oh, yeah, that goes on, dude, whatever, I don't know. I would feel a little bit more like, wow, but he stands up. He stands up. And he said, here's what Stephen said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Well, this made him mad. This made him even more mad. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Not in a, This is a bad way. They stoned him in a bad way. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Now, I don't know about you, but I love Stephen right here. Why? The dude is out of control radical. Why? Because if it's me, I'm going to be fighting them. You know, he's, he, <laughs> you go, why? Okay, stoning, stoning. You guys know about stoning, right? Here's what they would do. Stoning, they would take you outside the city and you would be about about double the man's height. So let's say six, about 12 feet, okay? Here's why they call it stoning, okay? Because they wouldn't call it murder because they don't know who actually killed him. So they would take him and they would bring him to the edge and somebody would push him off, hoping that he would die from the fall. Okay, this is about 17 feet to the ceiling, so figure about that falling down. Okay, he's not, he, 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 he's probably tied, obviously, and so whatever they're hoping, boom, 
So he's knocked down. Well, if he, apparently Stephen got on his knees, and then each person would take a stone, and they would throw him at it. The reason why is because they can say, they would say, we don't know who killed him. We were collectively throwing. And that's, they're so mad at Stephen for preaching the word of God that they, well, think about it. This is, Here's an interesting point. I found it interesting that they they got Stephen, tied him up, and then they threw him and knocked him over, right? Whatever it would be, 12 feet, 15 feet, whatever it might be, on the ground. And then they take, they're taking the cloth, the, the, their clothes, and they're laying it at a young man's feet by the name of Saul. Saul is sitting there with approval going, okay. I don't know, you know? And Now, let me ask you a question. What did Stephen do wrong? He was serving tables. What did he do wrong? He lived radically, didn't he? I mean, I'm just like, wow. But here's what I find interesting. Later on in Acts chapter 9, guys, Jesus sort of does the same thing to Paul, doesn't he? Paul, I don't know if he's riding a horse. I don't know if he's riding a camel. I don't know if he's walking. But nonetheless, this bright light knocks him to the ground. But here's what I love about God. It wasn't in a way to kill him. It was, it was so loving that he just... And I thought, wow, Stephen's there consenting. Saul's there consenting to Stephen as they knock him to the ground. And now Jesus is like, hey, do you remember what God told Saul? on the way to Damascus. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Oh, listen, when they persecute you guys, guess who they're ultimately persecuting? Jesus. Paul had no idea. That's the first thing. Saul then becomes Paul, who technically... The old man died that day because now Paul was working for God. Stephen died that day being stoned, and now Paul actually died. Saul did because now he's Paul. I found that interesting. And I think it gives Christians great hope in death. You go, why? You want some hope in death, guys? First of all, Stephen sees Jesus standing with him. And second, it's like he's transformed even before his earthly body dies. And that's what I want to hold on. Listen, when I, when I want to die, I want Jesus to go, hey, listen, you want to get out of here? My body may not have taken its final breath, but my spirit, the Lord's already going. Why? I, I just love that. And here's, here's what I love about Stephen. He said, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And he fell asleep. Could we do that, church? You go, I hope so. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, here's how we could do that, right? Our eyes and our gaze and our focus is on Jesus. He, he, Stephen had no earthly possessions he was holding on to. He's one heartbeat away from heaven. He sees Jesus. I mean, who wouldn't want to go? I'm going. 
They don't even, what did Jesus say? Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen's like, don't even charge them with this. I get to go home. Stephen's up there now. He's waiting for us. And he knows that some of us are being persecuted. But what about us? I mean, because obviously we're not being stoned to death. We're not being stoned for Jesus. We're not being martyred. We're not being killed. But, but what about us? Well, as I thought about this teaching guide, I thought every stone, I thought we could just talk about every stone that they threw at Stephen. You go, what's that? Well, let me give you some examples. When it comes to persecution of our faith, let me give you stone number one. Stone number one is straight up mockery of what we believe. People will mock you, right? Many people will insult Jesus or even Christianity so that you and I can doubt what we really believe. They're going to say stuff. They're going to mock you straight up. You may not be in stone, but one of those stones come in and says, hey, really? You're a... Well, let me tell you about Christianity and let me mock, oh, this Jesus. Oh, you've heard it before. Oh, you're one of those Jesus freaks. You're one of those holier, oh, holy roller. We heard it all, guys. We've heard it all. And that's stone number one. Stone number two, there are a lot of people who will get verbal harassment. The stones in which people will throw at you in the form of verbal harassment is an aggressive pressure or intimidation. That's a stone. That's how you're being persecuted. I mean, it's this verbal harassment. Are you kidding me? How about stone number three? The loss of family or friends. You see, oftentimes in our lives when we live radically for Jesus, we lose those who once, who we once called friends. You're what? Family disowns us. Friends have no, you used to get texts all the time, man. Hey, you want to, let's go. And now you're like, man, what are you doing Wednesday night? I'm going to church. You're going, where? Church? Ooh. I bet you own a Bible too. No, I own several of them, but okay. We lose a lot of friends, guys. We used to get invited to all of their stuff. And now we... Here's the problem. One of those stones makes us feel abandoned. We feel left out. We don't feel like... And that's why I encourage church. So that you have family here. You have friends. You have people you can hang out with. Why? Because all those other friends are like, and that's a stone that they persecute us with. Or how about this? Stone number four. You're passed over for promotion at work. Your boss knows you're a Christian, and he looks at you, and he's like, yeah, not on my watch, dude. You're qualified. You're overqualified. But because you've taken a radical stand, guess what? Your boss doesn't like you, and he won't give you the promotion. That's persecution. How how about stone number five? Trying to force you to live the way they would like you to live. You go, what's that? Think about this. Think about our think about the current situation of our of our United States. They make laws that go against what we believe. Oh, don't worry about them. And they want us to follow heathen laws. They're just like, listen, we'll do it. 
Do it. Think about this, guys. Schools. We don't teach creationism in schools. That's a form of persecution. They don't allow prayer in schools. It might offend somebody. You see, persecution comes in, in, in just subtle forms as well. Like what? Well, what about stone number six? Intolerance to our beliefs, but they want us to tolerate their belief or even their non-belief. Listen, you can't be, don't say Jesus, you're not a great, but, but you better tolerate what we believe. It's a double standard. Well, I want to close with this, guys. Can I just say this to you? You ready? If you live radically for Jesus, you will suffer persecution. And I found this neat quote. You need to, you need to jot this down. Joy is the thermostat in your life. Persecution is the thermometer that measures your life. Joy is the thermostat in your life. But persecution is often the thermometer that measures your life. Let me give you three reasons for persecution and pray. You're going to be persecuted, number one, the lifestyle we show, the lifestyle we live. You're going to be persecuted for that. You take your Bible to work when you pray because what you stand up for, because you won't lie, you'll be persecuted for that. And it comes in a lot of different forms. How about this? Reasons for persecution, the lies we suffer. The lies we suffer. People are going to talk about you. They're going to say stuff. You go, it's not true. It's not true. And let me give you the third reason for persecution. You ready? The Lord we serve. The Lord we serve. If if they persecuted Jesus, they're going to persecute you. The lifestyle we live, the lies we suffer, and the Lord we serve. Okay. Radical living, church, means we love Jesus so much that it's not about some of the stuff that we've endured. But let me say this. Radical living means that if those brown doors busted open right there and someone came in and said, listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, we have a cross waiting for you. Right out those doors, we have crosses. How many of you, how many of you are going to just, listen, here, here's the deal. You can go home tonight, just renounce your faith, know Jesus, just go home. Or if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you're going to live radically, and we got something waiting for you outside. How many of us would go, listen, I'm going to live radically because, because I don't follow Jesus because he makes life better. I follow Jesus because he's better than life. And that's where we need to be, church. That's radical living. It's all of them wrapped up into one. And some of us will be persecuted. And maybe a day is coming, guys. Maybe a day is coming where we will be like the church around the world. Where there will be crosses. Where the government will take away our Bibles. 
where we're not allowed to preach the word of God. And uh, I pray the Lord Jesus takes us before that day ever comes. Because if he doesn't, my prayer is there'll be a lot of us in jail. And we'd have a jail ministry. Of course, we'll all be saved, so we'll just have church. Amen. Father, thank you for your word and the truth in your word. And thank you, God. Thank you that we can, we can, we can be persecuted for your sake. And really, that's the point, Lord. If, if we're being persecuted because we're, we're just honorary and awful and, and we're, we're just not cool, God, and we deserve persecution, but if we're, we're being persecuted because, because we live for you and because, because we serve you, Lord, then we, we count it a joy and an honor. And we look forward to meeting Stephen someday. And thank you that it's recorded in Scripture so we can glean so much hope. So we love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.